How many fingers am five. I holding up? Three equals five. Three equals five. Three equals five. Three equals five. Hey everybody, welcome back to 3 Equals 5. This is Season 3. How's everybody doing? Welcome back. Thanks for uh, sticking with us over a month of hiatus. Right? Yeah, big time hiatus. Yeah, yeah. We almost forgot how to do this. Almost, yeah. So, Are we we recording? I think we're recording. Okay. I think we are. We got that bit right. Go, get out it. Get it out of your system now, Tom. Thanks, Mike, Tom. Mike test. You don't have a loss in gym, do you? Do I? Okay, I hope right. not. <laughs> yeah, I do. Probably not just smack as much as you know. anyway. Yeah, there was some weird stuff going on before. Um, so, Supreme Court and uh, affirmative action, and um, our state is included in this. Ironically, well, yeah. Um, so, the death knell for affirmative action has begun. Well. So possibly, 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 I, although uh, most signs point to uh, that that will be the case. But yeah. So what makes you say that, Mike? We we talked about this a little bit. What in particular makes you think it's going to lean towards uh, the repeal? So I believe uh, there's already been dissenting votes um, in, in similar instances, similar cases with sitting, uh, uh with, with sitting justices okay. and, uh, the idea that, uh, some of the new Trump appointed conservative justices will more than likely lean that way as well. Okay. So what do you think that means overall then for UNC and Harvard? I mean, it, <laughs> there's a very strong case to, to get rid of affirmative action, I think, from what's being presented now. Um, we've read through like some of the, some of the opinions, some yeah. similar stuff. It, it's it's a very uncomfortable <laughs> subject. <laughs> I will so, say that. So I was driving around um, doing errands, like you know, dropping off garbage and picking up laundry and you know whatever. And I had this plane in the truck. Um, you know, that because they left it open so you, anybody can go and listen to it. It's on YouTube, but I was listening to it live as they were making arguments. And um, the federal government has joined with Harvard and UNC in defense of affirmative action. Um, and they are saying that it is necessary. The federal government being the executive branch. Yes. Yes. The current executive administration. Thank you. Yeah, uh, good, the, yeah, the solicitor general, well, if we want to get really specific here, it's an important uh, distinction, <laughs> has joined with uh, Harvard and uh, UNC in trying to protect the rights. And I'm going to say it this way and you guys can disagree to protect the rights of the institutions to discriminate based off of race. Well, and that's how I see the argument. Well, in so the distinction being Harvard is a private university. Correct. But they, it's still the same defense. They, they do accept federal money for some of their programs. Yeah. Right. But UNC is a state. It's a public institution. Correct. But just because they're private, the way the law is now, not saying I agree or disagree, but the way the law is now and has been since the Civil Rights Act of 1964, from my understanding, doesn't matter if you're public or private, because that was... Uh, the whole thing of going to the lunchroom counter Mm -hmm. and it was a private business or anything else where 
you did not have the right to refuse service. Right. Yeah. The, the, the argument presented before the case is uh, whether or not Harvard and UNC is violating uh, the 14th Amendment, equal protection under the law. Yes. So I guess there was um, some Asian students in particular that uh, noticed it was harder and harder for them to get into UNC and Harvard. And they're like, well, we don't really understand. We know we have the best scores, et cetera, et cetera. Like we have spent our entire lives uh, geared and trained to do this and we're not getting in at nearly the same rates we were, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I now, bet, I bet they could run the numbers on that, too. I think they did. <laughs> <laughs> We're not because I'm, I'm just not that smart. Um, but it seems like uh, the argument, as, as I've listened to it, is that, well, we're not discriminating solely off of race. It's just one of a plethora of other criteria we discriminate against in coming to our institution, right? Yeah. So I find that a very strange argument. It's like, well, not only discriminating against these particular races, but we're also discriminating against, you know, let's say academics, how well you did on score, you know, testing and et cetera, et cetera. How, you know, how involved are you in the community? Are you a well-rounded person? Is it the holistic person that we want at our institution? And just one of those factors is the color of your skin. So it's not always determinative, I guess. Yeah. Until all things become equal. Until all things become equal. And then you have to decide between this person and that person. And the only distinction between those two on paper is the color of their skin. Well, <laughs> my, <laughs> and then yeah. at that point, <laughs> my issue with this is a bit more fundamental than the issue at hand. I think this is a problem with educational institutions. And I will limit this to my fields. Okay. Engineering, mathematics, the hard, hard sciences. Yeah, yeah, hard sciences. Okay. Yeah. You know, physics, chemistry, that so, kind of stuff. What so about hard. history? <clears throat> it's not hard enough. <laughs> Nor is it science. <laughs> <laughs> so if this is a liberal arts program, if, if there are various programs where those things may have merit – to have this well-rounded individual, to have all these different experiences and whatever else because of the coursework and the outcome you're going for. Mm. But I can tell you that that is lunacy to in any way have these things like my life experience or whether I played sports or any of these things relative to admission in the areas I was just talking about. You can either do it or you can't, period. And I don't want somebody going through that is going to be supposedly an engineer and they got in the system because they can't do it. It makes no sense. It has no relation to the outcome of the intent of the program. So why do I care about all these other things? If you can do the work, then you can do the work. Why are we taking these other things into account? I don't care that you were in choir. I don't care that you helped out in your community. I don't care that you were an athlete. If you're going to go for physics, if you're going to go for engineering, if you're going to go for mathematics, 
I want to know that you've got the background for those things, and I want the best people to go through for that. Naturally. So it's not just affirmative action. I think all of these other things should not be any way taken into account when it comes to Again, those fields. If if that's fine for some liberal arts program, UNC Chapel Hill. The problem is it's not just UNC Chapel Hill. When people think UNC, they think UNC Chapel Hill. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's a state school system. It's the University of North Carolina, of which there are multiple right. constituent institutions. Right. Yeah. Including the ones of which I was just talking about that focus on mathematics yeah. and physics and chemistry and engineering. So so when I when I say these things though, what I I, I guess you have to evolve the conversation. I'm, I'm going to say that even reading and um, research and your ability to write and communicate and articulate yourself in the arts matters to a certain degree. If you can't communicate that, you know, how, it matters how, across the board. Yeah. So it's higher education. It's higher learning. It's 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 being better than just high school. I can do it. Right. Right. Supposedly. So we have standardized testing. Okay. We have metrics to filter people out in higher education. Right. I think. Theoretically. Theoretically. So what happens then when you have a large enough population that just meets the requirements and it no longer becomes a filtering process? Well, that was a, one of the things with Harvard, right? The the numbers that we looked at, there was yes. like 35,000 applicants um, applying for 1,600 seats. And the, the, the numbers that they were throwing out, there were like 4,000 people had perfect verbal SAT scores. Yeah, yeah they're just being like flooded with perfect, perfect. Yeah, perfect applicants. Right. So what happens at a state level then when, let's say, here's the minimum requirement to get in and more people than they can allow in qualify yeah what else do you i mean yeah you have to find other metrics of separating people out and i think that's why they go with athletics or choir or some other things right or do we build bigger institutions to accommodate that right i don't know i don't know what these people are getting out of these degrees that they need those skills to begin with no i'm going with your engineering yeah yeah yeah. well then build bigger facilities uh, there's a glut of engineers. I can tell you that this whole thing, we need more engineers and more mathematicians, mathematicians and physicists and such, <laughs> whatever. No, we don't. within the, within the hypothesis. So this is obviously this isn't real. It's not grounded in reality, but if the qualifications, people met the qualifications overwhelmingly for engineering degrees or high I could sciences. easily set up tests. I could have design tests. I could have mathematical tests. I could have to make it more restrictive. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, but yeah. on on the skill sets that correct, matter. Correct, correct. Yes. Not on some extraneous variable of, oh, I just feel that, you know. I mean, one of the biggest things in most institutions is do you have a family connection to the school? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So my grandfather went there. My father went there. My mom went there. My aunt, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. That's a big thing with the Ivy League schools, too, isn't oh, it? Like huge. generational attendance. Well, that's how they get their money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, I, you know, if, for private schools, frankly, I don't care. You, I, If you want to select somebody based upon their toenail size, I'm good with that. Yeah, it's private institution. Yeah, I'm fully whatever. They should be. Yeah. From my personal perspective, sure, I don't care. Public? No way. No way. Yeah. Do we think that, you know, because we talked about like so many people meeting 
you know, X whatever requirements. I think that maybe instead of, because you can chase that down two ways, right? You either raise the standards, right, to find literally the top percentage of the top percentage, the top percentage of the top percentage, or yeah, we have to go down and find other maybe less meaningful metrics like fucking skin color, which shouldn't matter at all. Yeah. Um, to change. So, I mean, maybe the answer is, you know, more, make it more, more strict, more, more, more stringent standards, more yeah. academically rigorous Yeah, to solve I, the problem. The practical aspect of some of this and part of the, I would say the strange thing is you can pretty well get into a college there's always a college you can get into, and you can always yeah. get a loan to get into a college. Correct. But some of them don't have the prestige. So <laughs> once you get to the IV League schools, uh, the real value for most individuals, I mean, there, once you get, and again, I'll, I'll speak to the areas that I know, uh, if you get above a certain tier level school in the hard sciences, mathematics, and things like that, there's really no effective difference in the education you get. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. really the individual. You yeah, get yeah. to a certain point and it's just diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. So you get the same quality of lab work. You get the mm-hmm. same quality of resources. You get, you know, the professors are generally pretty good and know what they're talking about. Yada, yeah. yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So the difference is that in the Ivy League schools, it's all networking connections. Yeah. That is the real value that you would get in things like that. Now, again, in engineering and mathematics and stuff, maybe there is some value in that sort of stuff, but it's very small overall, really. It's not like law no, or yeah. political science yeah, or a yeah. business and yeah. all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Now, that's, I, I mean, that's hugely important if you're going into that thing, but that's right. the reason you're going. I mean, if you're in, I don't know, this, I mean, even just on the face of it, it sounds crazy, but this, you know, if you're an idiot mathematician, does such an, an individual exist? I guess. I don't know. But it's got to be possible. Are you really going to get like moved up in your career when you're an idiot mathematician? No. No. Because <laughs> you cease to perform the function that you trained for. I mean, just, <laughs> like, just that term is an oxymoron. Like, <laughs> well, I, I read an opinion uh, article about this and the guy did mention that, you know, the majority of, of colleges and universities are going to get basically zero impact if uh, affirmative action is, is repeated. Well, and I think the reason why Tom mentioned this before, you can get into a college. Right. You know, you can pay the money and get into a college. I had no reason or I, if it was a tiered system or like some kind of strict system to be able to get into a college, I would have no business going back to college at 30 Right. You know, like I had a GED. I had no educational background whatsoever. I barely had any middle school, let alone high school. School of okay. hard So if somebody looked at that and they were like, yeah, no, not a chance. Not a chance. Well, I got in. Um, I went through business school and all of that. And I, I got a bachelor's of science because it was statistics and math mainly in my business degree. And then I switched over to the art side. Nobody cared. It's like, do you have the money? Yeah. That, that's that's literally it. That was the qualification. Do you have the money? Okay, sure, you can try. We'll fail you <laughs> if, if you're terrible. Yeah. But if you're halfway decent, yeah, you're going to pass and get a degree. Well, so, 
or go to a community college where right. they have programs that if you're failing, yes. or if they, they actually graduate you and you can't get a job, they will retrain you. Correct. I mean, their entire mission Correct. is economic success, which theoretically should be the entire point of yeah. a whole bunch of money being paid <laughs> right. so you can have a job, as opposed to the well-rounded individual for society. Well, I went because oh, I was yeah. curious, um, which is definitely not helpful to anybody except myself. But, uh, you know, I learned a lot. Hmm? About the programs, how they it work, was, and you that know, was mostly what, my college experience too. Was I just took classes that I enjoyed, and but if if we're going to continue on generally generationally telling people, you know, you have a natural leg up because of a certain characteristic that you cannot change, that's going to be detrimental to that group of people in the society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's really the crux of the argument for me with with affirmative action is it's naturally given accommodation to a group of people. Now, what happens then? And we've all been in work, work and life experiences where this has happened. Somebody gets promoted to a different um, position. Mm-hmm. Right. Always one step above their capability. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because well, no, then no, they're no, like, no. they can't move beyond that. So let's Find say, let's say, and promote them immediately. Well, let's say if, within that organization, there was a huge push and this, okay, affirmative action, right? So we need, um, let's say, purple skinned people to be promoted at a faster rate because we don't have enough purple representation oh. in, in our company, oh. right? At so upper then, levels. At upper levels. So then you notice a whole bunch of purple people moving up really fast. Right. Hmm. And they're supposed to lead an organization of folks that know their jobs, hmm. you know, know what they're supposed to be doing, et cetera, et cetera. And then you look at that person. Are you looking at them as a competent leader? Maybe, maybe not. Right. Well, right. Well, <laughs> there's the. All right. So I have been in situations where I've known very competent individuals, a couple in particular I can mm-hmm. think of that. They were sort of living through this. They were competent. They were very good at what they were doing, but they had to deal with people second guessing whether they were competent yes. because they were always right. thinking. Now, after they worked with them, for you a just while, promoted because of this, this, yes, and this, not right, because yes, you're competent. Yes, right, right. Yes. Yes. And I was and so I was like, man, that's. Obviously, that really sucks because, I mean, after you work with the individual, you knew this was a highly competent individual, knew mm-hmm. what they were doing, very intelligent, yada, yada, yada. But, man, when, you know, you set up a system like that where the expectation is to immediately second guess, is this person competent? It's not that, fair that's to not the good. person. Yeah, it's not, exactly. it's yeah, not yeah, fair yeah. to the person and it hurts the organization. Well, you're hurting the your best performers. Right. I mean, the ones right. that truly are gifted and hardworking and everything else. They're the right. ones that I, I you know, I, so I have seen that a few times and it is very strange situation. Mm-hmm. So, again, with that, if you get rid of affirmative action, you kind of get rid of that problem mm-hmm. to a certain degree, because then it's just qualification based, pure, pure and simple. Mm-hmm. There is no questioning somebody, oh, did you have an advantage here? Yeah. You know. And I think the original intent, like so many things, there were good intentions. Mm-hmm. And I think that there probably have been instances when affirmative action was first initiated that it probably did some real good. At this point, I think, like a lot of things, um, situations change. And I don't think that the sort of leg up 
that was initially envisioned is the way the situation is going right now. Um, I think I think it's getting more frivolous than what we consider a leg up. Well, we looked at the uh, we looked at the census data. Well, during yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, if you talk a look, if you take a look at just raw representation of college students versus the breakdown of different racial categories in the United States, it's plus or minus a few few percentage points. Yeah, nationally, it, it's largely representative. Yeah, it's largely representative. There is no. Uh, really skewed metric anywhere that's like, oh, well, this is obviously way outside the norm or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think females are starting to. I only I didn't do male female. Yeah, we didn't I already know super that. Majority. Yeah, they are <laughs> super majority. And yeah, we didn't do male female. We just did it by race. Well, I don't think Census it's categories. I don't think affirmative action. Does affirmative action go with sex as well or no? I, I don't know. I don't think it does. So. Yeah. Doesn't touch on that specific point. But anyways, I mean, is, is gender uh, diversity important? <laughs> uh, yeah. All diversity is important. The more diverse, the better. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Diversity for the sake of diversity. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Because it breeds better ideas overall because of the diversity. I mean, that's why there's three of us, right? <laughs> Probably the most diverse group of individuals you could ever get into a room. Well, uh, you know, our affirmative action hire over here in the corner. <laughs> Not looking at you, Tom. <laughs> Tom's about to crawl out of his I, skin right I now. Have, <laughs> I have not self-reported. I'd uh, like to get that out there. Okay. Not, there's been a big push for self-reporting. <laughs> Some people think it's like a social stigma that I have it self-reported, but I do you know. So I, I'm glad you brought up that diversity for diversity's sake, because there was a lot of arguments with Harvard and with uh, UNC where they said that diversity breeds better students, more qualified students. And it's a better overall representation of the workforce that we'll be moving into. Okay. I, I, well, let, let me let me finish my point. You can you can jump onto that. Um, I would I would say diversity of expertise is a good thing. It's an important distinction. I don't think diversity as it stands. Like I'm from, you know, I'm from Alaska. You're from South America, right? Now we're in the same building. Automatically, our educational experience is going to be better. I don't believe that. It doesn't make any sense. But your ability to understand different cultures and work with people, I think that's... The in developmental education in the early years, going into high school and everything else, yes, I would agree. When you're in college, it should be driven by a sense of, I am going to do X, Y, or Z, and I need to be proficient and better than everybody else at X, Y, and Z to be able to get the job that I want. Yeah, so I, what I have found, sort of two things along those lines. Diversity of, you might say, creative process or ideas or thoughts is very valuable. But I've not seen a correlation of that with, like, race or ethnicity or whatever, you know, that's I have not seen that. The thing that I found is that the strongest combination is hard work, like, a, you know, a commitment to doing something with 
an ability, and again, I'm speaking of my areas of hard science and engineering, with the ability to come up with creative solutions mm-hmm. and cohesiveness. So cohesiveness is or is not diversity and has nothing to do with it. You can have a very diverse group in all sorts of ways if they are cohesive. You know, I think there's this thing called the military where they're supposed to like bring everybody in from all over the place and you're we're all one, green. We're all yep. green. Yep. One cohesive unit with one mission, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. No, no, no. We got away from that. We're all an army of one now <laughs> or whatever it is. I thought that was about three marketing campaigns. Something like that. Oh, it was. <laughs> I'll take, I'll take <laughs> army of one over the cartoons any days. But anyways. Oh, God. <laughs> so. Yeah, I thought there was a lot of value in having diversity, but it was diversity of thought and ideas. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I was like, well, that's I had never thought of that. That's great. You know, or yeah, that's a good approach or whatever it was. Very valuable. Yeah. But so maybe in the social sciences or something, you know, this lived experience or whatever. But frankly, again, me being me, I don't know what the you know, economic output of that is and the value of that in some sort of degree. You're paying for a skill set so you can have a job. Well, how do you how do you measure something like that? It's infinite because diversity is infinite because I think what what people are and maybe this is what's happening This is just, you know, a thought. But, you know, the diversity of thought and creativity is being, you know, how do we measure that Uh, with testing? Yeah, a way, but like your experience and other things, you know, cultural values, a lot of that kind of when we start talking about like creativity of thought and all that, like some of that comes from that place. And like, how do we there's no real good way to measure it. Maybe other than, you know, race would. So you're saying that you the block, even though it's not an accurate way of actually measuring it, but it is at least somewhat correlative diversity of thought has nothing to do with um, immutable characteristics. It's based off of experience, right? That's it. Well, unless that, but that's what I mean. Characteristic is your ability to think differently, but well, <laughs> you get what you get where I was going at, going with it. In yeah, other yeah, words, there's yeah, not yeah. a correlation between somebody's skin color and their ability to think creatively or whatever or not think creatively. Well, okay, right. so so like we were talking about um Africa, right? Uh Afri- Africans from Africa coming to the United States far outperform African Americans oh, economically. Yeah. Hands down. Right. Okay. So is that diverse or not? Because they're the same skin color. Right. So, but I'm going to take this one step further. Simplistically stated. Because people, this is another bizarre thing to me. People think of Africa as Africa. Africa's a big freaking place. It's not like it is one culture. It's thousands and thousands of cultures. It's bigger than than Europe. It's it's probably more diverse than Europe. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Right. Just... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. All over yeah, the yeah. place. So there it is. Like, well, they're Africans. Then I'm like, it's a freaking continent. And it's a huge continent. What does yeah, that yeah. mean that you're trying to pigeonhole the entire continent into, well, this is represented? Okay, oh, fine. Really? But like, 
Ethiopian, whatever, South South African, however no, no, you want to do it. Um, but that's kind of the point that I was making, though, is like if we're just going to base it off of a skin color, are we capturing diversity of thought and ideas? Or are we just capturing diversity of skin color, which how does that benefit yeah, your yeah. educational experience? I yeah. think, yeah, uh, uh, what I have found and again, I, once again, I'm dealing with folks that have come over first generation or not even first generation. They're like uh, educational visas, work visas. Oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I sponsored an H-1B visa um, uh, from India and went through that entire process. And actually, it's a lot harder than you think to justify that. But I think it was harder for me because I was honest. (laughs) (laughs) You basically have to say that you can't find somebody that's better qualified. That's an American citizen. No shit. Oh, God, it is like. And so I, I had gone through a hiring sense, process yeah. and the guy was really sharp. And I was like, I can't get, you know, the job market is what it is. I can't find somebody with this. Now, I was in a field that needed a particular skill set that was very hard to find. Right. So outside of that, very hard to justify. But I saw student after student, professor after professor, individual in the workforce, after individual in the workforce that was from Africa, East Asia, Indian subcontinent, whatever, that kick butt. I mean, hardworking. Yeah. Their kids were hardworking, incredibly good at school and everything else. Mm-hmm. They were just blowing it out of the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, one postdoc, uh, he asked me to tutor his daughters in uh, calculus uh, from Ethiopia. And uh, no, excuse me, from Nigeria. That was another one from Ethiopia. It's a very interesting story about the Cold War. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, they were just, they were doing incredibly well. They would have been successful no matter what. Yeah. And so he would be an individual that I know in his career could have been in the situation where I, extremely intelligent guy, extremely hardworking, gifted. And for him to have somebody look at him and think, did you get here because it's some special program? Uh, yeah. I mean, what a slap in the face. The right. Guy, you know, yeah. the guy's yep. like sharp as a gun. So. Well, it takes away um, accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, the things in life, I had a conversation with somebody just the other day, the things in life that you're proud of generally are never the easy things. Right. There are some things, you know, maybe easy to help certain people that are easy to help and things like yeah. that. But I'm thinking things hard won. Hard won. I'm proud yeah. of retirement. That was the easiest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Congratulations. You left the service. <laughs> Crowning achievement. Tom's going to think about this for a second. He's like, there's a lot more to that. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. You know. mm. Sorry, I just had I to think you could argue that was hard one as well. But I mean, oh, isn't no. that part of, you know, the military going through boot camp? I mean, that's the Marines entire thing. Yeah. They, right. They break you down. They build you up. And, you know, you're you are a Marine. You went through it. I don't know. You're always a Marine because <laughs> they do such a good job. Uh-huh. <laughs> they, they really do. They really do. So much. Kool-Aid. There's definitely a personality type for that. I got to yeah. admit from my recruiting years, I could tell like this kid's going to be a Marine. <laughs> <laughs> 
doesn't the, quite doesn't question anything. Was it the bits of crayon God in, bless the, in the corner of his mouth? <laughs> Necessary and and functional for our society, but sometimes you can just kind of tell it's like, yeah, yep. you're going to be a marine. Yeah, no, you know, cannon fodder. Hey man, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 hey! Speaking of look, my people, the, the Highland the, Scots, the, that we are the cannon Tom, fodder. The term, <laughs> the term is mobile sandbags. Okay, oh, yeah, you're being yeah, yeah. insensitive. Damn. <laughs> well, they're not issued shovels now, are they? Because they don't dig in. They only they advance. must. Oh. Somebody told me that. I don't think ago. that's true. I think, <laughs> that's, I think they got e-tools like the rest of the grunts. That's one hundred percent not true. <laughs> Something about field sanitation. I don't know. Need yeah. no yeah. thinking shovel. Oh man, shit on you, the dead. You, you, was you, he a? Mar- he was a marine, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually, if it's the guy I'm thinking about, he was pissed off that Marsock. I don't know. It was like Marsock was not getting stood up or before Marsock got stood oh, up or whatever. Oh, and he's yeah, like, you yeah, know, yeah, really yeah. pissed off that they were not. I don't know. I was like, all right, well, whatever. We're cool. Too. We're the only ones that take ground and never retreat. And I was like, all right, man. <laughs> <laughs> we're power to you. I mean. <laughs> so rah, it, it, rah, rah. is this going to have bleed over effects going back to the Supreme Court and decisions and everything with affirmative action? Is it going to have bleed over effects to the private sector? Mm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think there's any way that... I don't think there's any way it couldn't because it, it it's a Supreme Court precedent. So... You're talking about public and private institutions making decisions based upon affirmative action. That is a sort of generalistic blanket ruling. There, the Supreme Court, at least in my understanding and my experience, tries to make everything as narrow as possible, specifically right. to an instance. Right. So you build up decisions over time. Mm-hmm. And I think what will happen is over time, you will have more and more of these decisions. The pendulum has swung from one type of judicial ruling, and now it's swinging back to another type of judicial ruling. Mm -hmm. Um, If affirmative action is unconstitutional, then, you know, race-based hiring practices and a lot of other things would essentially be unconstitutional as well. I think the practical aspect of this, which actually I think it's, which should have happened a long time ago, is to look at the other factors involved, particularly uh, economic or, I mean, frankly, far more down to the family level. Did you have a parent that was incarcerated or abusive? Were you raised in an area that was so economically impoverished that just the school system was falling apart? Right. Those sorts of things, I think, are very important to take into consideration. You mm-hmm. could have a very bright individual that was just in a situation. Just beaten down. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So if you can, I think this may force a better solution to the problems at hand. That you can actually dive into the data and say, okay, how are we going to help these people? It'll force them to say, okay, how do we actually help the people that need to be helped at a more refined level? And be more like communal-based programs. Yes. Localized stuff. Yes, 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 yes. And I think that's a good thing. I really do think that's a good thing because one way or another, it is good for society to help the less 
advantaged. People may or may not agree with that, but it, if regardless from a moralistic standpoint, if you disagree with that, if you have uh, an underclass that keeps building and building and building, it flips the triangle. It's not good for a stable society. No, it's called revolution. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the, whether you don't care about anybody and, you know, sort of selfish mindset or whatever, um, you might want to start thinking about when, um, you know, the serfs get a little upset. So um, teach somebody to fish, hmm? right? Feed them for a lifetime. Give them a fish, feed them for a day kind of thing. I know it sounds very cliche-ish, but this is exactly the kind of thing that we're talking about here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The programs that have been brought up since Reconstruction have been more about giving people fish. Yes. And not well, enough about teaching them how to fish. Trying to achieve equity through... You can't achieve well, equity. Well-intentioned means, but like missing the mark. You can't achieve you, you, equity is is something that we'll get into this probably later because that's more philosophical. Well, it's <laughs> enforced equi equity is the opposite of freedom. Right, right. So you could achieve equity, but then everybody would be equally poor. Right. And uh, miserable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Marx has this crazy thing about that this. Smile um, your face. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's reasons why it doesn't fundamentally work for society because you have to be able to give accolades and achievements to people that earn and well, produce for that society. If you don't and there's no impetus, then that society collapses and dies. So, yes. Yes. and that's pretty easy to understand throughout history. But, um, yeah, I think we need to move towards training and education more so. Like, how do you get out of a bad environment in the United States? Well, heck, you can move. I don't know. That's that's not always the case. I mean, no, yes, right. from a general standpoint. No, no, yeah, yeah, sometimes that you is. can sometimes be too poor to move. No, yeah, no, no. Absolutely. You could. You could. Or you could get onto work programs. Well, right. That allow you to relocate. Or you, I'm you, talking you, about solutions here, though. Yeah, but yeah. you're smart enough to figure that out. I think a large part of this is, okay, take somebody from a relatively economically disadvantaged area. And I hate to even say disadvantaged. They're just poor. I mean, it's a poor place. Economy yeah. sucks. Whatever. Yeah, they're poor people. Okay. A bunch of poor people. And you're not on the right side of the bell curve. You're on, yeah, so you're on the, so not only a little are bit you farther poor, on the left side, but you're fucking stupid too. Yes. Sometimes that... <laughs> That goes hand in hand. It, yeah. Okay. So, but Sometimes. Because you don't have access, you know, to those. Well, but maybe just inherently stupid. Or that too. Yeah. You know, not everybody is a super genius. So, you know, I mean, does that mean those individuals should be damned to a life of just abject poverty and, you know, despair? I don't think so. I hope not. But I can agree. Possibly. With that. John's on board with <laughs> No, the reason you know, the, No, 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 no. From a libertarian standpoint, it's a free and open market here. Yeah. yeah, so the reason the middle class exists is to give hope to the poor and scare the middle class into thinking they can become rich. Jesus Christ. That's it. <laughs> you mean scare the rich? Oh yeah, scare the rich. Yeah, yeah sorry, yeah, yeah, I messed yeah, that up. Yeah, you. you but anyways, you that, that's it. Scared. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got to keep them scared that they can slip back down to being, yes. God yeah, forbid, yeah, yeah. middle class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So that structure is always going to exist if you have, I would say, a a proper competitive system in society. I 
There's always going to be those that have and those that don't have. But I, I think well, no, 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 no. It, yes, but there's always going to be greater. There, there's going to be a greater amount of people that are poor in a society than there are going to be rich people or middle class people, right? Because if you had a glut of middle class people, then naturally they would become, in some strata, up the poorer class. Generally, I think. Yeah. Pretty much every social or economic system that is going to be the case. Yeah. So. You know, so, I think affirmative action may have been, okay, think 60s. What other, what other metric could you have used to, and I mean, face it, the affirmative rights, affirmative rights, affirmative action, civil rights was based upon uh, individuals that were black in America from African descent, the whole thing, you know, went through slavery yeah, and everything yeah, else. And yeah, yeah. this was a way to right the wrongs of the past. Yes. That was the intent. Mm -hmm. So again, the intentions were good. There's no doubt that the intentions were good. But let's say you were trying to come up with an alternate method to help those individuals. So along the lines of what I was just talking about. Right. You know, that you weren't like uh, a wealthy individual that happened to have uh, a, a good farming background or something like that or industrial background or an attorney or a physician or whatever it was that you were in a different situation in life. I think back in the 1960s, one of the things and the, you know, late 50s up to it, one of the problems was you just didn't have the data. Yeah. And. That's not the case now. So I think just like technology, I see this as a technology issue. Technology has caused a lot of bad things. It's also caused a lot of good things, right? right. So I think we could use technology, technology being data analysis and computational analysis to really see what are the causative factors. We've got a lot of data out there, and how do we use data to determine what has worked and what hasn't worked to really help the people that need it, as opposed to just this sort of blanket proxy? Yeah. Well, it becomes more of a socioeconomical thing versus a, a race issue. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think giving people more freedom and more choice instead of prescribing a solution yeah. um, would invariably help from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, when I think communities propping them, you know, doing more to prop themselves up, you know, in the in the wake of the decision, whichever way it goes. I mean, well, that just means you have to do better at school, I guess, at the at the end of the day. Right. If this if this goes through and firm action dies. Right. Then you just have to do better. You don't have a choice. Well, that is yeah. the <laughs> that is the East Asian motto. Yeah. The Indian subcontinent. It's not that these individuals were inherently some sort of brainiacs or whatever. It's just they were freaking hardworking. Yeah. And it was expected that they were going to work hard. They weren't going to shame their family. They were going right. to make their family proud and they were going to do whatever it took to excel. The right. opposite of entitlement. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, it, it was. Yeah, it, it was. I, I am nothing until I've achieved something <laughs> like <laughs> it's my education and I need it now. Well, no, I mean, it's just their, their outlook. I have not achieved well, enough right. for my family. I have not, I've not made it. I am nothing right now. I need to work hard to get there. Exactly. No. And most of the, the American most mindset is, is inverted. Yeah. It's the complete opposite. Yeah. Well, you can see this outside of any racial lines just from Great Britain, United Kingdom. Um, 
and certainly my families or whatever, but look at the differences in individuals from uh, an Episcopalian background versus a Methodist background versus a Baptist background versus a Presbyterian background, and even within that, the subcultures. Mm. So or Catholic. They were all in the United Kingdom when they came to the United States. Yeah. They're all a bunch of white people from the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And you can trace their economic prosperity relative to their religious denominations as much or more than anything else. Because certain denominations focused on different things and emphasize different things. Causative of, or correlated? I think Cause. causative in, in most cases. Okay. So <clears throat> there is a huge difference between, well, I mean, if you look at the, the strict Calvinists, you know, it was hard work, hard work, hard work, education, education, education. Yeah. They were freaking East Asians. I mean, it was work hard, work hard, work hard, study, study, study. You don't have to go to like college, but you will read. It may have been reading the Bible, but if you could learn to read uh, and and it was science or business or math or whatever mm-hmm. it was, then education was the great liberator. In fact, it was yeah. required to understand God's word. So that was a big push. You look at others. Uh, far, far, far less emphasis on that. Uh, Anglican, Episcopalian, same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. A big difference, though, is th- the hardcore Calvinist Presbyterians were not wealthy when they started out. They were like the low ones. It was the Anglicans that were the high church. But if you look at actually the emphasis on education and hard work, starting low or starting high over time and their success rate Mm -hmm. versus you could have very wealthy individuals of different denominations and how they tracked over time. It was the different, it was completely opposite direction. Right. Well, isn't that just um, the the state of humanity though? Because like, let's say you've done very well, right? And you inherited some wealth or your children inherit a great, great amount of wealth. Okay. Um, Their experience in life is not yours. They didn't have to earn anything necessarily. It was given, correct? Mm-hmm. Then what do they teach their children? Oh, you're just going to get stuff in life and this is how it goes. Maybe not explicitly, right? But just as their life progresses, I don't have all of these stressors on my life anymore. Therefore, you know, it, it just, this is my existence and this is how it always is. Well, that would just, and then by the third and fourth generation, you start losing that generational wealth, right? And then you get poor again and then it curves back up. So I, I think that's just the way humans are. I, to some degree. And I use uh, denominations in you know, Great yeah, Britain yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. that was, I mean, they genetically were all extremely similar, right? You know, whether right, right. they were Celtic or Anglo-Saxon or Pictic or Britain or whatever. The, oh, not thanks, a whole lot for of representing the Picts there. Yeah, I appreciate you know, that. You know, <laughs> I do what I can. Uh, they were all pretty close, right? Yeah, yeah, Very yeah. Northern European, whatever. It was not so much the denomination. The denomination was culture. There was a right, culture that right, they grew right. up in and that culture emphasizing. So it doesn't matter in, in, in the bigger context, doesn't matter whether it's religious or not. It's the culture. Correct. It just happened that you might say that's a proxy for a particular culture mm-hmm. because that was the dominant culture. And where I 
I mean, growing up in the South, your primary identifier was, are you a Baptist? Are you a Methodist? Are you a Presbyterian? Like it wasn't, and it frankly wasn't even whether they went to that church or that church or anything. It was like, well, you know how them Baptists are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And Northern Baptists are very different from Southern Baptists. Let me tell you. I've heard. Very different. Right. Well, you know. But it was a proxy for the culture and what right, the culture right. emphasized. So East Asians emphasize hard work and education. Mm-hmm. So you were saying like more school, more school, more yeah. school. In a technological society, yeah, I mean, you, that's how you get ahead. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, picking more beans every hour. Well, no, because a robot's going to take over that here pretty soon. Taking my germs. Taking my germs. <laughs> so I'll say, uh, speaking of different cultures or whatever, um, as a military brat, right, you, you said you were identified by religion. I was identified by branch. Oh, yes. Well, we were just branch, talking Marine. We, well, I was going to say branch and enlisted or officer. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it was it was a little bit of a crossroads there. But uh, what branch is your dad in? Oh. Enlisted or officer, and that dictated the conversation. That dictated the orientation of that yeah. that social experience, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. As very, and it was almost automatic. As children, we did this. Oh. Um, I didn't care one way or the other because I just wasn't into the whole thing. I was a little bit of a hippie, but <laughs> well, <laughs> it's just like not my thing, man. Yeah, pretty much. I learned early <laughs> that naval officers were different. You um, don't say. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because they model after the British rules. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, they were different. They don't talk to enlisted guys or they don't uh, associate. They don't associate yeah, with them. Yeah, yeah. Very different than, because, you know, you're growing up around the army or whatever. It's like, hey, well, whatever. I don't know. Back, well, I say back and then, then, I would say 80s and 90s, it was still ridiculously strict. Maybe because it of still the, is. I'm in, pretty sure. No, in the army, no, oh, no. it's practically oh, non-existent. No, not. In I the would army. agree with that. Yeah. Well, but around here, maybe this installation is a little different because of certain things that went on at this installation. And, oh, yeah. And everything else, because I, I mean, I just knew people that retired in the community and mm-hmm. lived in the community next, or and were active duty in the community together yeah, when yeah. I was a little kid. Right. So, um, it probably was at certain installations. Because I just don't have the experience. But I know around here, I was like, so that when I first was exposed to like the naval officer sort of, I was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was an yeah. alien experience. Yeah. I was like, huh? <laughs> so I would say um, to that point, uh, army officers outside of Bragg and a couple of different facilities around here, which breeds mm-hmm. a different kind of mm-hmm. culture. Um, regular army officers are 100% similar Really? To the Navy officers. Back in the day. Back in the day. Now, not not at all. Um, yeah, I haven't seen that when folks have rotated through at all. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mean, just, not nowadays. But it used to be the case, um, at least before Desert Storm, Desert Shield, that was it was very stringent. I don't have any, hardly any interaction, I don't think, with uh, regular Army officers or really regular Army people in general. Really? For the listeners, there is, you say regular Army. There's, I say big Army. There's like, I guess they're actually there. Maybe I guess I was saying the army, but four armies within the army. No, there's only one army. (laughs) I'm I'm not in the real one. The the rest is just support. Yeah, for for the listeners out there, there are. 
you may think there's one army, <laughs> but there are really different armies within the army. Not just like first army or whatever, but they're different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And never betwixt shall they meet. No, well, not at all. Not at all. Man, nope. that got very weird very fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great place to land. Yeah, folks, you agree, disagree with this affirmative action thing. Um, I, I say just get rid of it. Let it go. Use let it go. Military as a model. Well, maybe not current military. Well, yeah. What do you mean? Good point. We don't take race into account. No, no, of course you don't. No, like the pictures are off the ERBs and shit. Right. Okay. <laughs> Point taken. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> it's one of those things we'll never know. We'll never know that because if we were going to have that conversation, it would have to be off mic. Have you <laughs> have you looked up the uh, relative representation of East Asians in the military? It's very low. So it's just here that I'm like, yeah, it's very, very low. Hmm. Like if I look back into my USREC days yeah. and, and pull that data, which is obviously outdated now, um, uh, less than 5%. I mean, API was at 2.8. Now, I must admit there is... I would maybe it's a Asian few. Pacific Islander API. How about um, <laughs> what do apps have anything? To I wonder do with what this? the relative percent of Korean is much higher. Um, the reason I would think like off the charts higher. Yeah. 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 Well, comparatively to other Asian. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That would be very interesting to see culturally based um, the relative percent of different ones. No, I think it's actually um, encouraged a lot of times that the rock, um, it, you know, rock army or whatever sends officers over and accepts. Oh, yeah. That, yeah well, yeah. it's like the Commonwealth Exchange. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is like a, um, individuals that were, you know, the parents were born in Korea or the grandparents or whatever, you know, Korean, American, whatever, if you want to say that, um, the relative representation. Well, I think the reason why um, is same reason that most military families have children that join the military. Okay, is because it's still very, it's almost second generation Korean War now. Oh. So those people understand, South Koreans understand that the military is going to keep them safe and free. Oh, got Vietnamese. So and, they're and Korean. Yeah. So their description oh in the South Korean army, though, is compulsory, isn't it? Correct. If you're a South Korean citizen. But if you were born in the culture, you know, and had, you know, whatever, you ended up being a United States citizen, your impetus to join the army or a branch of service is far greater. Yeah. Didn't the uh, the rock get kicked out of Vietnam because they <laughs> were basically um, too aggressive towards I, the Vietnamese? <laughs> I don't know specifically anything about that, but it sounds correct. <laughs> Yeah. Rules be damned. That's what I understood. <laughs> Oof. Oof. <laughs> Brutal stuff. But uh, still trying to land this plane. I know. I know. I know. So uh, last last comments for you. I already made mine. Yeah, no, I think that I, I'll be interested to, to read the decisions once it comes out. I'll yeah, the, the ascent and mm -hmm. the descent. Mm -hmm. um, Tom, what do you got, man? I think it's actually one of the more positive steps to help the people that really need help. 
Okay. Yeah. Because I think it will force people to really focus on how to effective, effectively help people. Okay. If you guys have been with us this whole episode, please like, share, subscribe, or at least go to our Patreon page, forward slash three equals five, and check out some of our merchandise. Get that swag. Uh, and if you didn't like the episode, share it with someone you hate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Every time. How many fingers am I holding up? Three equals five. Three equals five. Three equals five. Three equals five. Three equals five.